Veteran entrepreneur Kristen Cottaccini is the founder and CEO of Hero X. This revolutionary organization empowers anyone to crowdsource the solutions to their most urgent challenges and incentivizes innovators from around the world to compete to solve them. Through this platform, NASA has already challenged coders to speed up its supercomputer. Lando Lakes has called on investors to develop drone technology to assist in agriculture. And NBC has sought new designs for its iconic peacock logo, just to name a few examples. Hero X was co-founded in 2013 by Christian, Peter Diamandis, and Emily Fowler in order to democratize the model of their existing company, XPRIZE, which was designed to offer huge financial incentives for groundbreaking innovations in science, technology, and engineering. In 2004, XPRIZE was responsible for incentivizing the first private suborbital space flight by rewarding the triumphant developers of Spaceship One with $10 million. Using Hero X, anyone can post a challenge and offer a prize of any size for projects big and small. You know, my, my definition of innovation is pretty straightforward. It's, it's um, you know, breaking the future from the past at a really high level, right? If you think about it, if, our, if we do things in the future the way we've done them in the past, there's really no innovation. Prior to Hero X, Christian had 20 years of experience in the startup and technology worlds. He founded Absolute Software, a leader in computer security and asset management, and subsequently founded Make Technologies, which was sold to Dell Computers in early 2012. In this compelling conversation, Christian spoke with Ivy's co-founder, Barry Merrick, about some of the biggest challenges facing our world today, and how anyone might be the person to find the solution. Please enjoy our conversation with Christian Cottaccini. listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by 8, maker of the 8 Smart Bed. Sleeping is smart. So is a bed that tells you exactly how well you slept last night. The 8 Smart Bed is a four-layer, high-density foam mattress paired with a smart cover that goes on the mattress just like a fitted sheet. This nearly invisible technology layer has multiple sensors that measure the quality of your sleep and deliver a daily sleep report each morning through the 8 app. The 8 cover also has a bed warming feature that warms each side of the bed individually to accommodate different sleeping temperatures. And 8 connects to almost any Wi-Fi enabled device in your house. Coffee makers, blinds, smart lights. Did we mention bed warming? Ivy Podcast listeners get $100 off any mattress purchase by entering the promo code IVY at checkout. Visit www.8sleep.com forward slash IVY to start sleeping smarter today. 
Hey, Christian. It's great to have you here on the show. I'm very excited to talk to you about HeroX and the challenges around innovation and how to overcome them. To get us started, I'd love to hear about your story. What was it like growing up? And what was the journey that took you to HeroX? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, well, I'm... Um uh, my story is, yeah, it's, is pretty typical. Uh, I'm a Canadian, so I, I live in Vancouver, and um, uh, my family actually immigrated from Europe. I was actually born in Europe. I was born in Rome, and uh, we came here uh, as an immigrant family. Um, and, um, you know, it, I think there's a lot of correlation between, you know, Im immigrants and entrepreneurship because there's an outsider view that you get as an immigrant growing up that, you know, really helps you create um, – insights um and um so you know i had a little bit of trouble fitting in in school school was not like super awesome for me um and um i kind of went down the classical route of i dropped out of college to start my first startup and um the insight um for my first startup kind of um you know, came out of nowhere and I, I, before that i didn't even really think I was, you know, I didn't think, I didn't have any business aspirations, but um, I started getting um, into, you know, building this, this um, product and invention and, and really kind of um, uh, really fell in love with entrepreneurship. So that was my first company. I started when I was 20 um, and I've uh, launched four startups since then. Um, it's been a really great journey. I, I geek out over the first principles of entrepreneurship, innovation, uh, human performance, and collaboration, um, and so um, it's something that I, I really enjoy doing, and and um, have have a fair amount to share about it too. That's great. So let's dive right in there. So, what, in your view, are the first principles of innovation and entrepreneurship? Wow, well, that's a that's a really open question, but um, the so let me let me start by. Um, we start by, uh, I guess, talking about uh, innovation. Um, it's a really poorly understood concept. Um, and, um, you know, people use the word all the time, right? It's overused, innovation, innovation, innovation. And it's lost a lot of its, its meaning. And so I've, I've become a real student of what is innovation from a, you know, from a scientific uh, um, perspective, an economics perspective, and a psychological perspective. Um, and you know my my definition of innovation is pretty straightforward it's it's um it's you know breaking the future from the past at a really high level right if you think about it if our if we do things in the future the way we've done them in the past there's really no innovation right um and so uh, as an entrepreneur we we focus on the third kind of innovation which is disruptive innovation there's two other kinds by the way and disruptive innovation is what we see when we see like Airbnb, you know, come out of nowhere and do what it's done or, or, or Instagram or, or things like that. Um, they tend to be the ones that um, we really, we really showcase and, and they change the world. And innovation always starts um, as a, a crazy idea that's wrong and destined to fail. Right. Um, I used to think when I first, when I started my first startup, I thought I had an idea and it's super valuable. And I'm going to, I'm going to protect it. You know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, by the way, a lot of young entrepreneurs, a lot of inexperienced entrepreneurs, um, you know, want to want people to sign NDAs, you know, and, and, and like say, Oh, I've got this idea, but I can't share it because it's so valuable. And I've learned that, um, 
or, or another way to say it is, I've yet to find an idea that's that powerful. The, the ideas are, uh, I love ideas, and I thrive on ideas, and I produce massive amounts of ideas. But they're really uh, as valuable as a hypothesis to a scientist, right? They're a place to start, not a place to finish. And um, every, uh, all f uh, four of my companies have, um, have really gone through a discovery process, a learning process, where we take an idea and we go out into the world and try to implement it. And it's the lessons that we learn as we're executing and implementing is where the true um, um, innovation occurs, right? It's it's, it's, innovation is an act of discovery uh, more than it's it's an act of ideation. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> you mentioned a phrase there. It's breaking the future away from the past, uh -huh. right? And then you mentioned there's three types of innovation, and the one we're most familiar with is the disruptive innovation. Uh -huh. What are the other two types, and um, uh -huh. what what is kind of most misunderstood about the concept of innovation? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so the three types, real simple. Um, the first level is incremental innovation. So that's really about um, continual improvement, making um, you know uh, incremental changes. Um, it tends to focus on increasing um, efficiency and optimization. Uh, for example, um, reducing manufacturing costs, um, increasing turnaround time. Um, it all happens in a box where the goal of the whatever you're innovating on really doesn't move around, okay? It's just um, getting there better, faster, cheaper. The second form of innovation is, is, is what's called optimization um, or additive innovation, incremental uh, additive, sorry. And, um, and it's really about adding, so like adding a backup camera to a car, that's that second form of innovation. You're bolting on a new capability to an existing um, product or an existing concept or model or structure that adds real value. A backup camera on a car saves lives, by the way, lots of lives, and it's super easy um, to back up your car compared to the way we, you know, the way I learned to do it when I took my driver's test where you got to like, you know, stretch your neck around and there's like, I mean, you can't see anything anyway, so it's, you know, you're kind of backing up as an act of faith, um, you know, and so, um, so that's that, bolting on new, f new capabilities is the way I like to think about it. Um, and then the third form is the disruptive innovation where you, you're really redefining um, the, um, in, in my language, you're, you're, you're really um, redefining the relationship that the, your consumers or buyers have with their problem. Right, Airbnb has redefined people's relationship with um, lodging. Right, um, Uber has redefined our relationship with getting around. Right, so our relationship with the problem of oh crap, I need to go to the airport by two p.m. Um, our relationship with that problem has changed. That's where disruptive innovation happens. Um, it, uh, Henry Ford has you know great uh, when he invented the Model T. This is kind of the classic. Um, a, um, like anecdote for disruptive innovation, um, he rolled it out, and the press was really skeptical. And they, you know, they asked the question, like, "Did you, you know, how many focus groups did you talk to consumers about this? Do you, like, how do you know that the Model T is something people want?" You know, and he quipped uh, those different versions of of his statement, but basically he said, "Well, if I asked um, consumers what they wanted, I would have built a better buggy, right?" 
Um, and so that's the realm of, of that disruptive innovation. It's, um, it's taking something that's just a crazy idea, right? And um, at first, and if you're successful, it'll be seen as self-evident and obvious in hindsight for everybody. Right. What makes um, disruptive innovation particularly difficult to achieve? Yeah. Well, um, so, so let me, let me uh, before I go there, I want to segue into one quick thing. There's a really common thing that people say, um, you know, companies can't innovate, right? There's a lot of, um, oh, you can't innovate, you know. And I think they're misunderstood. I think um, in, in many ways, if you, across all three levels of innovation, there's actually more innovation that's possible in big companies than in startups. Startups actually um, struggle to innovate. Trust me, I know, okay? Uh, big companies have huge resources. They can, they can hire um, the best insights and experts. They can work with vendors. They, they, can, they can really accelerate innovation, but they tend to do it in the first and second forms. The problem is the third form is really, um, if you think about it, every kind of disruptive innovation is a big kind of middle finger to anybody who's committed to the old way of doing things, right? And so, um, you know, think of taxi drivers and Uber, right? Um, you know, and so, um, so that's, um, if, you, if you're in the business of the old form, right? You know, so like if you're a hotel company, um, the idea of like creating Uber in-house, if you think about it, is crazy, right? Because the immune system of the company is going to kill the idea while it's still a stupid and crazy nonsensical idea. It's only after it, it scales that we then look at it. Now it's something they can't avoid. The, the famous uh, example recently is uh, Kodak went bankrupt and many people don't realize that they actually invented the digital camera. Like they invented the technology that, that actually led to their, their bankruptcy. Um, but the past for film, like for photos, is, is chemicals and paper, right? So they had a lot of um, features on chemicals and paper. And if you, do, if you read about the history of Kodak, it was actually a massively innovative company. The founder was innovative. There was a lot of commitment to innovation. But the, the move to digital was something that was um, you know, disruptive, and the immune system forced it out. To, to go out into the market and and actually lead to their demise. So companies can't do that disruptive innovation very well. That's really the realm of entrepreneurs and startups. Um, now, um, did I answer your did I answer your, your full question there? Yeah, I um, definitely. I think the so I think that really nicely answered the point of like what's great, uh, what, what's really challenging about uh, disruptive innovation from the context of a large company, right? It's the fact that, yeah, they, large companies are great at innovating when it comes to optimization or bolt, like bolt-ons and so forth, uh, efficiencies, but when it's disruptive, it, it's harder for them and it's more the realm of startups, as you just said. Uh -huh. So we, you know, pretty much everybody listening to this podcast, they're either already running uh, startups or they're aspiring to... Um, innovate in different ways. We have a lot of also like scientists and artists and so forth. So let's say, regardless of level, if you were to give advice on how someone can be a great innovator, uh -huh. uh, how someone can best tackle the challenges associated with innovation, uh -huh. Uh -huh. What, what would your advice be? Um, 
That's a really good question. So let me start by saying that, um, you know, entrepreneurship is, is going through a golden era. And, um, and, you know, some of that is hype. But the part that really excites me is the um, democratization of, of the entrepreneurial mindset. And I believe that um, really everybody should consider themselves um, to have an entrepreneur um, skill set that they should develop. Um, because I think it's really important for you know, anybody at any level um, in your life. Um, and you know, 20 years ago, it was really hard to understand entrepreneurship. Now it's readily accessible. So I think it applies to pretty much everything and everywhere. Um, now to, to answer your question, um, I think the most important skill that I've learned as an entrepreneur um, is to be, to be observant to be present and to really be a, be, be good at, um, at looking at what's going on around you and in the world. Um, and, and use that to invalidate what you thought was true the day before or the minute before, right? The, um, Jeff Bezos has a famous comment, comment that the, um, that all he optimizes for after having run Amazon for as long as he has and, He's arguably the, the best um, living CEO right now and, and certainly one of the most innovative. Um, he, he says that um, you know, what he optimizes for is, is maximum experimentation as rapidly as possible. That's all he optimizes his management team for. How fast can we fail? Remember the, what an experiment is, right? It's a project that is likely to fail. That's what an experiment is. Um, it's a project where the result the data from the result is more important than the result itself, right? And so there's a lot of wisdom in, in, in what he's talking about. Um, and so the, I'm an entrepreneur at my best when, when I have a, a thesis, an idea, and then I go out and test it out. And, um, and if it doesn't turn out to be true, um, I get really excited, because there's data now that I can use to, to rethink and replan. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that because if you think about it, you have to invalidate something you thought was true. And like in order to leave anything, any, any room for new things, you have to invalidate what you think is true. Uh, you know, I think everybody who's listening has a friend who knows it all. You know, the know-it-all friend who's got you know, all the answers, can explain everything. Um, and I think if you look at that person, you'll, you'll see that they really struggle um, with um, learning and developing and growing and, and adapting. Because if, if everything, if you figured everything out, there's no room for any change. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing you said is, you know, being present, really knowing what's going on in the world. And then the second one is experiment as much as possible and, and get as much data as possible. Um, and those are both kind of like um, internally driven, you know, like approaches that you can take from yourself out into the world. Mm-hmm. What about the part of innovation that's all about, you know, how the world reacts to you when you're running these experiments, when you're putting yourself out there, when you're uh, questioning the status quo? Um, what advice would you have to innovators um, on how they can better deal with like the fallout from their innovations, both, you know, customers, but also just 
the press, but also sometimes their own teams, how people yeah. react to uh, individuals who are trying to constantly experiment and fail um, uh-huh. in a, when the human condition is very averse to failing in general. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, um, that's a really good question. And there's uh, probably three different angles I can take here. Um, uh, I'll say that, you know, um, you know, listeners who listening to what I'm saying, they can hear a lot of motherhood and apple pie and what I'm saying, like the lean startup and, you know, yeah, 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 what's new here. That's not the point. The point is it's the internal game. It's the being, not the doing. Like doing experiments is not um, new, right? That's a, you know, pretty well-established thing. Um, it's called the scientific method, by the way. We invented a few hundred years ago. It's really good. I highly recommend it. Um, but it's the mindset, right? It's the understanding the, the most important term I've used so far is the term invalidate what you think is true. It's the mindset of, um, of being um, connected to the world. You know, mindfulness and, and the whole um, movement of, of applying a lot of the Eastern approaches to, to, um, to entrepreneurship and to business and to life, and I think it's really, really critical. But the part that's critical is the ability to really observe. Um, when I think back at, you know, when I was younger, um, I, I wasn't observing anything. I was, I was getting sensory input, and then I was listening to what my brain was telling me about, like, my interpretation. It's kind of like this is how most people listen, right? The words of the other person go into your brain. You're not listening to the words. You're listening to your assessment, judgment, and reaction to their words. And um, I've learned to calm that down and really, um, really look at what people are saying. You know, if there's any entrepreneurs out there that are struggling, right, that they're like they're, they're frustrated, maybe their customers aren't buying their product fast enough or it's taking too long or it's too hard um, or, you know, they're facing pricing pressure or whatever it is, I can guarantee you that the source of that as an entrepreneur is a blind spot that they have and that um, the world's telling them the data is there. It's just being ignored by their, their internal biases. And if they actually stop and listen and, and really understand um, and look for what's, you know, what they think is true. That's not true. Right. Really that look, look at it like a good scientist, by the way, tries, they devise experiments to try to prove their hypothesis wrong. Like that's the scientific method. You're not tr- trying to prove your hypothesis right. You know, if, you're, if you have a hypothesis that a certain thing is true in nature, you're looking for, um, how can I prove it's not true? Because it's super easy to pull, put an experiment together and, and manage all the inputs to make it true. Like that's, anybody can do that. Um, it's, the question is, is how is it wrong? And then you, uh, you modify your hypothesis and keep on going. And so that part um, of, of this is, is really, really critical. The thing is, um, as a startup, when you have extremely, um, as a startup or just an innovator that is not, you know, being funded by a gigantic company, right? Um, it, oftentimes, you know, you have to run experiments just to survive to figure out, you know, what works so you can, you know, pick up steam and show some traction. Uh-huh. So it's definitely, you know, you're still trying to, you know, put together winning experiments, right? Uh-huh. Um, the interesting thing is that sometimes, in fact, maybe oftentimes, like, the world really is overwhelmingly telling you no uh, uh-huh. about something, like your idea is kind of silly, or you don't have what it takes, you don't have the resources that's needed. 
And then the oftentimes like the most legendary innovators are people who went through that for years and then proved everybody wrong. Uh-huh. So how do you kind of uh, balance between, um, you know, <laughs> the data, right? Like what the world is kind of saying uh-huh. and on the one hand, while with the perseverance of like, kind of keep going at it because like you have this conviction that it's going to work and that's sometimes that conviction isn't data oriented it's just like you just Uh know this has got to work you know Um, what do you think well um so yeah so here's a good insight about that so you know a lot of entrepreneurs talk and they share you know how to be an entrepreneur and the thing to remember is that they're sharing it from their framework their personality their their insights and, um, and, and we, we, we all do this. We all, everybody does this, which is we assume that our truths are the universal truths, right? Especially when we have deep, deep conviction about them. You know, we'll get on stage. Um, I'm guilty of this. We get on stage and we'll just say like, this is the way, this is the way to do it. You know? And, um, what we're forgetting is that, um, it's not true. Right. And the, how you can tell it's not true is you can just look at, ask, you know, Look at all the other entrepreneurs and say, has any other entrepreneur been successful um, not doing it that way? And chances are, like, my, you know, in my, I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up, you know, during the, the, the pre-internet tech, you know, um, scale up. And so I grew up with people like Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates, you know, it, when they were entrepreneurs, right? And, you know, those two, um, and in the, in the, um, in the 80s, they're, uh, um, they're, the 80s and the 90s, they're, um, um, bickering and their kind of the, the the drama between them was was well publicized and you couldn't pick two different entrepreneurs two different mindsets two different strategies and yet they're both successful right and so there's a really interesting insight there um, the 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 way to, the thing about being an entrepreneur is is you you have to you know the in the at the first principles level the thing that uh, I don't know how um, to do it any other way gets into those some of these kind of high level things, but basically, um, you know, we, we want to, um, um, we want to, um, get practice, um, um, being unreasonable, right. Practice being, um, okay with being judged and made wrong by other people. Um, and I would invite everybody to do a little bit of that, you know, around something you have a conviction over. Okay. Because, um, if you want to be a big entrepreneur, if you want to take on something really big, um, you're going to spend most of your time um, alone. Um, you're going to spend most of your time with most of the data and the people telling you that what you're doing is crazy and impossible. Um, now, your employees won't tell you that because you're paying them. Okay. But that doesn't mean they're, they're not feeling that. Most, I mean, in my startup, most of my entrepreneurs spend most of the time, sorry, most of my employees, I'm guessing, and most of their time um, uh, scared of the impossible thing that is in the way that it means will not be successful. That's just human nature, right? And when you're doing a startup, you're, you're out, you're past, you know, it's like swimming, um, you know, out to sea and you can't see the ocean anymore, or you can't see the land anymore. You have to get comfortable doing that. Um, the, the, the trick that I've learned, because there are some kind of natural, like, let's call them natural entrepreneurs, um, although I don't think that's really a, a true, but there are some people whose nature um, makes them very visibly an entrepreneur. And they're the people that are like all out, 
all in total crazy courage, you know, seat of their pants, crazy things, you know, um, you know, jumping out of airplanes, you know, have long blonde hair, own islands, you know, and we think that that's entrepreneurship. It's not, um, um, the, 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 the way, the way I like to describe it is we all have our kryptonite as it, like in the, in the conversation of entrepreneurship, we all have our kryptonite, the thing that we get stuck and stopped with some of, for some of it, it's maybe courage, um, for other, for others, you know, it might be, um, you know, the wanting to look good to other people or seek, seek, um, you know, acknowledgement, um, um, learn what your kryptonite is and, um, and manage your energy. Um, you know, I'm, I have to take huge risks as an entrepreneur. So I compensate by mi minimizing my risks in the other part of my life, right? Because I've got kind of a, a finite, um, you know, quotient for risk. You see what I'm saying? And everybody's got that finite um, capability. And so you want to, you want to, um, you know, practice kind of where you're applying that stuff. Where's the kryptonite that you're dealing with? And then um, make sure that you focus your energy um, in the entrepreneur stuff um, and, and really kind of um, be efficient with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to actually use that insight as a launching pad for going really macro. So HeroX, uh, the company you're running, um, has taken a very interesting approach uh, towards fostering innovation, both supporting innovation, but also leading to, you know, getting more people to innovate in the first place. So it would be great if you could share with us um, the history of HeroX, so what's the rationale behind it? Uh -huh. And then also what are the main areas of challenges that people are looking to solve through HeroX? Yeah, yeah that, that's great. So, um, so as, as I mentioned, you know, HeroX is my fourth startup and, um, and um, I get bored easily. My, my, um, my, um, my kryptonite, by the way, uh, um, as an entrepreneur is, is um, being in my comfort zone, right? Um, when I look back and reflect at, at, at my successes, it's always been not, not only my successes, but the, the time that I cherish, the, 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 when I thrived, I had fun. It's, it's all been out of my comfort zone. So for me, part of um, kind of the, the setup for HeroX was to, you know, get far out of my comfort zone. And I also wanted to, um, you know, help help with some of the problems that the world has, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but the world, you know, has a lot of problems and the, and a lot of the problems are, are growing faster than they're being addressed. Um, there's a lot of uh, obstacles in the way of these problems being solved. Um, and it's particularly frustrating right now because conceptually, a lot of these problems have um, really simple answers conceptually. And yet there's, you know, getting them actually to happen in the world is really, really tough because of, you know, all the issues that people have talked about. Um, so that's, you know, my why for, for starting HeroX was really about um, giving the world a platform uh, of innovation and democratizing innovation. Um, there's a, 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 a Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book, I think it's in um, Outliers, where he shares, you know, I think he, he focuses on uh, Bill Gates, for example, and he says, you know, everybody considers Bill Gates a genius, um, but what they don't realize is like 
he he was he was allowed to have um, um, after hours access to one of the few powerful computers of the era. So he was probably like one of twelve people on the planet who who was able to spend enough time on a computer to gain those insights. And so the point it, he's making is not to take away Bill Gates's genius. It's to say that out of twelve people, right, he had the genius and the opportunity to to see the future in computing. Um, you know, where others would, would not see that for years. And so think of all the Bill Gates who lived at that time, you know, that maybe grew up in a poor family, you know, m- maybe they were, you know, farmers or whatever, um, that never had that opportunity. And so what I'm really trying to do with HeroX is democratize opportunity um, and create a platform where, where organizations um, can post their problems right? The, the thing that um, the innovation needs to solve, okay? Um, they're called problems. Um, and, um, and create a liquid market where um, people can look at those problems, and if they think they can solve them, they can solve them. And it really gets to the heart of, of innovation. Innovation is a really amazing thing, and, it, and innovation changed lot, changes lives, right? Um, when I first started, I, 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 I had this scarcity relationship with innovation, right? Like, like, oh, I have to like, um, you know, I have to make sure that I, you know, I, I have, you know, my equity protected and my idea protected and my ownership protected because this is, you know, this is my opportunity to, you know, be successful. But now I realize that no, um, innovation is this really amazing um, capability and the innovator benefits massively. Um, um, and and has you know it earns the right to um, you know to do future innovations and all that. It's called having a track record, right? Um, and so um, so the HeroX the the goal for HeroX is to create a platform um, that's going to help us um, really solve all the problems of the world and also help organizations um, um, start um, dealing with the rate of disruption because most industries are going through this um, disruptive. Uh, acceleration. Um, and it's, it's obvious why, right? So if we connect things in a network and we digitize them so we can transfer them on that network, they follow exponential curves. So as industries, um, you know, get digitized, if you will, um, they start accelerating and the companies aren't accelerating. If you think about how um, companies um, manage production, right? Like their ability to solve problems and do work. And basically they hire people, right? They, they hire employees and freelancers is kind of the basic model, right? Um, you know, you, you really can hire, you hire employees, you hire staff or you hire freelancers, which is basically the same thing. Um, or you, you find a partner, a vendor who has staff and freelancers and, and you hire them, but you're basically just doing the same thing because they're just hiring their people. And um, the internet hasn't really disrupted um, that model, and yet, if you think about it, think of who, how, like, think of all the human potential that's attached to the internet, and we're we're creating a platform for organizations to um, to be able to leverage that. But let me be clear: the organization is going to benefit massively, but the real benefit is going to be for all of us. Um, and HeroX, as it really scales, is going to really, um, really, really help um, people. Uh, find their their opportunities and their geniuses, uh, pivot their careers, 
um, um, there's, I think there's just a tremendous amount of, of gain that's going to happen from what we're doing. Okay. How specifically can the IV audience uh, get involved, both in terms of, uh, on the one hand, posting a challenge, a problem, and, but also getting involved in the challenges that are already there? Yeah, that's great. Well, um, the, so that's a good, so, it's a good question. So I believe um, that just like, um, um, you know, when I do um, uh, talks, I often will ask, the, especially to like uh, executives and CEOs, I'll ask them, how many of you guys do social media marketing? like your companies and all hands go up, right? You know, they all have Facebook pages. Um, but then I ask them, um, you know, how many of them do crowdsourcing and no, no hands go up or, or, you know, 10% of the hands go up. Um, and if you think about it, all that crowdsourcing is in, is really just using a social network for production instead of consumption, right? Well, we use social media to market to consumers, but we don't engage with producers um, to do that. So, so I'm really excited about that. I believe that everybody, every organization is going to be doing crowdsourcing, just like they're doing social media marketing. And then we'll actually have a balance. They'll, they'll have internet-enabled um, and exponentially scalable production um, alongside of internet-enabled and exponentially scalable consumption. Um, and so um, how people can get involved is um, we're, we're rolling out um, the capability for, for – um, uh, people do do crowdsourcing at all scales, small projects. You know, we often will crowdsource names for challenges that we're launching for on behalf of clients, um, and you know the budget for that can be like a hundred dollars, right? We have clients that are crowdsourcing uh, for social causes, are crowdsourcing where there is no there is no monetary incentive. It's they're crowdsourcing for karma, and um, and so um, it's really a great platform. And we really would love for people to experiment and try it out. Uh, we're basically gamifying innovation, and um, you know we want to um, we want to make it um, a really common thing. And by the way, um, the the millennials are you know the digital natives. I prefer to call them. Um, most millennials don't like to be called millennials, so I apologize. But the digital natives are the first generation that have grown up digital, right? Um, and people don't understand the, I know I'm digressing and I apologize, but people don't understand the, the magnitude of that shift. The millennials are going to, um, they're going to scale the internet as a tool, a, so, a tool for social change to a level that is unprecedented that we can't even imagine. Um, have you noticed how millennials, the way millennials date is differently than the earlier generations, right? Because dating is now founded on, you know, digital technologies through your smartphone is how you maintain your relationships. I'm overgeneralizing, but you get the idea. And so imagine if that same capability was possible for work and collaboration. Um, and that's really what we're doing. So I'd invite people to experiment and, and uh, work with us on um, using uh, our platform um, and, and think about a social network for, um, for any change that they want, small things, big things, um, big innovations, small innovations. Um, we're getting into more and more um, diversity there. And, and the action item there is sign up for one of our upcoming workshops. So we, we, run, we run regular workshops where we really get into the nuts and bolts. So that would really be a first step. If you're interested in crowdsourcing, sign up for one of our workshops, get started. We're really actively working with our early adopters, and it's an opportunity for you to participate in creating this movement, which I think is gonna change the world. 
And then uh, on the crowd side, um, you know, come on the platform and look for stuff to do and, and get engaged. And, um, you know, we're going to have um, just this amazing rollout of, of different opportunities and projects on our platform. And it's going to be really fun. Okay, amazing. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the workshops and dinners we're going to be hosting together as well with Ivy. And um, this podcast will include all the details on how everyone can get involved. Um, Christian, I want to thank you so much for this uh, inspirational and extremely insightful conversation. We're very much looking forward to supporting you in every way we can. I'm looking forward to seeing Herox go from one height to the next. So thank you for everything. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.